iTunes presents Meet the Author. Good evening, welcome to the Aftersol Read Street. Great to see so many of you here this evening. Um, and welcome to Meet the Author. Our guest this evening, author of Join Me, Yes Man, and Friends Like These. Yes Man is currently number one in the UK box office, has been for a couple of weeks. Um, yes Man and Friends Like These are currently available as audiobooks for download on iTunes. I've got nothing more to say. Please welcome Danny Wallace. Hey. Uh. <laughs> Hello. Hello. This is very exciting. I've started my own riot. Oh, yes. Well, um, I think we've all learnt a lot here tonight, uh, so far. Uh, walking in, I did see one woman who is going to be very disappointed uh, this evening. Uh, she was standing over there just holding a Kurt Vonnegut book. Uh, it's not, you know, I know it's Meet the Author. It's not any author. I'm afraid you're stuck with me. Um, so anyway, on that slightly odd note, uh, let's move away from the strangeness. Um, check this out. Look at this. I've got a little Madonna-style microphone on. Uh, they're giving me a big sort of screen. I've even got a stool. It looks like uh, you're going to get the world's most shit boy band, uh, essentially, here tonight. I'll get a guitar. Anyone got a guitar? No, that what? You? Have you really? Have you? Don't go and get it. I was, I, I was really only joking. That would be terrible. It would just be me harmonising here for an hour. On my own. Can you do that? I, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, hello. Uh, my name's Danny Wallace. Um, uh, did you come for this, or are you just sheltering from the cold? Someone here is sheltering from the cold, I know it. Who is it? You're a liar, whoever you are. You're definitely doing it. Um, well, this is kind of the book um, that I thought I'd, I'd kind of start talking about. Yes, man. Uh, now a sort of a, a Jim Carrey film. Have you, have you seen it, anyone? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. Did you like the book a little bit more? Yeah. My kind of crowd. Okay, we can do this. Uh, so I thought I'd kind of maybe talk about that for uh, a little bit and then maybe talk a bit about friends like these or, or join me or, or, or kind of whatever you like. And I'll do uh, a short reading uh, from Yes Man. That's always going to be the slightly awkward bit where you are just standing here watching a man reading quite badly from a book. And now I've said standing. That means you can't creep off. You have to stay there. Uh, and then, you know, we'll do the question and answer thing if you've got any. Uh, and then we're all going back to your house for an evening of interpretive jazz dance. Uh, you actually look delighted by that. It's the first Apple event ever, which has ended up with a couple of hundred people round at your house. Let's go now. Let's go now? Let me do this bit. But we'll meet you outside afterwards. It'll be, it'll be marvellous. Um, so, some of you are familiar um, with uh, Yes Man, it seems. You've, you've kind of said that. Uh, for those of you who aren't, um, I, I started saying yes a lot, right? Because, mainly because I'd, I'd kind of been saying no for the first half, essentially, of a year. I'd been kind of saying no to my friends and uh, a no to going out and they'd phone up and they'd say, hey, do you want to go to this great thing? It's going to be amazing and there's going to be free stuff and you'll probably meet the love of your life and we'll sort out the transport. It'll be amazing. And I'd go, no, I, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing a thing. And I wasn't doing a thing. I was just sitting at home in my pants watching The Weakest Link, <laughs> eating a samosa, things like that. It was, life really wasn't all that good. So I was kind of through a strange set of circumstances that I won't go too into, it's a bit involved, I decided the best way to reverse that would be to reverse the whole no thing and just say yes, but yes, not only to more things, I'd say yes 
to everything. And I thought this could be, this could be amazing, the most extraordinary kind of way of living, a real kind of grab every opportunity that comes my way kind of thing. So that's what I decided to do. Initially, for 24 hours, right? 24 hours. I would kind of live an entire day just through relentless positivity, grab all these tiny opportunities that usually I'd bat away or, or run away from for 24 hours. And I'm sitting there on that day thinking, this is it. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be extraordinary. No, nothing's happening. There's no phone calls. There's no emails. I'm thinking, maybe I've got to do something else here. And then the phone rang, right? I'm excited. This is it. It's the chance. I answer the phone. A fellow goes, Mr. Wallace? And I go, yes. <laughs> I'd have had to have said yes anyway. That would be a pretty rubbish story. But he goes, I'm just phoning from Mark 1 Double Glazing in London. Exactly. You're right to have that sharp intake of breath over there. Just wondered if you'd like a free, no obligation quote for double glazing. And I went, yes. And he went, R really? And I went, yeah. And he went, it's never gone this well before. This is great. What, what do we do now? And I went, well, what, what do we do? We, we should have a meeting, he said. And I went, yes. And he went, well, when's good for you? I went, when's good for you? He said, Tuesday. I went, yes. He said, two o'clock. I went, yes. And then I sort of look around my flat and I realise that I am already fully double glazed. And I think there's a problem here. And I have to say, well, th there's one thing. It doesn't have to be a problem. He goes, what? I go, I'm just saying, you know, you can still come round, still give me a cup of tea, you know, we can talk about the weather, you can still give me a quote, that kind of thing. But I've already got double glazing. And he goes, are you wasting my time? <laughs> and I go, yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, from there, you can kind of see that maybe there could be trouble ahead. I started saying yes to all my spam email. That's kind of, it's kind of tricky. I've now got a whole cupboard full of Mexican Viagra. For, if anyone's interested, might liven up your party tonight. Yeah. Uh, I, I said yes to buying a car from a bloke at a party, just because he said, I don't suppose you'd be interested in buying a car, would you? I ended up in a gay leather bar in Amsterdam, which is fine, you know, unless you're a straight man who's decided to say yes to everything, at which point it can get a little bit tricky, a little bit dicey. Anyone here ever said yes to anything they shouldn't have? Yes? What? What? Who was that? Oh, now they're all going, no, no, I have no regrets in life. Anyone else? Going to the where? Going into the desert with nomads? Well, you were just in the pub and someone said, do you fancy going to the desert? That sounds amazing, that sounds magical. You're walking along the road. You were walking down the street, if anyone over there can't hear, in Morocco, a nomad pulled up in a car. <laughs> Already I'm doubting this. And he said, hey girls, do you want to go to the desert? And you said, yes. Oh, it was a great thing to do. And was it exciting? A lot of drumming, you went to a wedding. So it was a good thing. Oh good, I was... Oh, I thought I was, because uh, uh, I kind of said, have you got any regrets from this? I thought it was going to be a horrible nomad-based story of anger and regret. But actually, you're saying, if a nomad pulls up tonight, do it. <laughs> Again, you will find there are lots of lessons you're going to take away from you uh, this evening. Many of them nomad-based. So that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Well, I started saying this to more and more and more stuff, to everything. And, and things, you know, if a nomad had pulled up in a, in a jeep or, or a little caravanette, maybe, him being a, uh, a nomad, a man off the road, uh, I would have had to have said yes. 
Um, but I don't want you to think that all the yes things lead to sort of magical things. Some things you say yes to kind of go nowhere. And I thought I might read you uh, a little bit from... Uh, I, th there are diary sections in the book where I kind of read, uh, I kind of talk about the things that kind of don't go anywhere but are worth putting in. So shall we move to the slightly awkward reading part of the event? Yes. Wow. You've picked up on that. And actually, that's <laughs> I wasn't actually expecting that, which is ironic given I'm the, I'm the yes man for you to all shout there. All right. Well, here we go. Selected extracts from the diary of a yes man. July 18th. There was a most incredible question in the back of a metro I found on the tube. In a little boxed out advert were the words, are you Britain's most German looking man? <laughs> An advertising agency was casting for Britain's most German looking man and asking whether if you were, you'd like to be on TV. I thought about it for a moment. Was I Britain's most German-looking man? I tried to remember what I looked like and decided that, yes, I could probably pass for a German. My glasses could easily sit on the face of a more European man than myself. Maybe I was exactly what they were looking for. Maybe when I walked into their production offices, they would say, I'm terribly sorry, but you appear to be an actual German. <laughs> I think you've misunderstood our advert. We are looking for British people who only look like they're German. And then I would smile knowingly, and gradually it would dawn on them. And they'd say, really? Could it? Are you? Gentlemen, call off the search. We have found Britain's most German-looking man. Imagine if I got the job. What would the people at the BBC think of this? What would they think when I walked into the office, threw my keys to the floor and said, keep them. I'm off to be Britain's most German-looking man. I imagine some of the girls would probably swoon. God, it'd be brilliant being Britain's most German-looking man. I've left a message, and I look forward to hearing back. July 19th. I was reading the East London Advertiser when I noticed a colourful article posing the following question. Are you animal crackers? I read on. If you are, it said, then your pet's mugshot could win you £100 and the coveted title of Advertiser Pet Personality of the Year. There were already some strong contenders, such as Bobbles of Mile End Road and Pippi of Stebbendale Street. Neither seemed to have much personality. One was just a dog someone had put some sunglasses on, and the other was just an overweight cat. <laughs> well, I instantly knew one thing. Yes, I was Animal Crackers. Definitely I was. But I didn't have any pets to think of. I'd have to get one if I was going to ensure neither Bobbles nor Pippi robbed me of the title. July 20th. Today I saved £8 on a pair of Great Fit Practical Elasticated Denim Jeans. The ad said they were only seven ninety nine with free delivery. They have a drawcord style elasticated waist, the kind that grannies or the clinically obese use, and they are fully machine washable. I will never ever wear them. July 21st, someone has put a sign outside my block of flats saying, Interested in squash? I need a squash partner. Could it be you? Despite never having played squash in my life before, I buy a squash racket and then phone the man, whose name is Bjorn. We agreed to play squash at the weekend in Bethnal Green. July 22nd. I read in the Standard that the UK Trichological Association in London are giving free hair examinations to all men. I decide to have my hair examined. I arrive at the clinic and a man behind a big desk tells me what they do there, and it soon becomes clear that he's eyeing me up for a hair transplant. I'm not sure where he wants to transplant my hair, but he keeps looking at my head. He asks if he can just quickly examine me and I let him. He stands over me with a big magnifying glass and prods about a bit before saying, yes, you are definitely in the early stages of male pattern baldness. <laughs> You're all looking at my hair now. 
bastards. <laughs> he gives me such a fright that I can actually feel my hairline recede another millimetre. I'm going bald. He made that happen. It's all part of his clever trick. He gives me some leaflets and I go home and stand in front of the mirror for an hour with a comb and a ruler. He was right. It is receding a bit. I wish I hadn't said yes. Then maybe this would never have happened and I would have had the hair of a child forever. Sounds quite sinister when you read it out loud <laughs> in a shop. It's fine on the page, I promise you. On the way home, I'm stopped by another charity worker from Help the Aged. I think they've begun to target me. The charity worker, it's not the aged. I'm not, I'm not that paranoid. July 23rd. I haven't been able to find a pet yet. I thought about buying a fish and sending in a picture, but this is a personality competition, and I'm not sure how much personality it's possible to garner from a picture of a fish. It's not like anyone's ever looked at a cod and thought, now there's a crazy character. So in the end, I took a picture of my neighbour's cat, and I sent that in. Squash with Bjorn didn't go too well. I was hoping to rely on some kind of latent natural squash talent, but it wasn't there. I don't think him, I'm his ideal partner. He said he'll call me. July 25th. My spam email offers me more drugs. I'm offered Propecia for hair loss and Prozac for depression. I feel you can't really take the first without the second. I order both. July 26th. I just realised that if I win the Advertiser Pet Personality of the Year competition and my neighbours find out, I'll have quite a hard time explaining the fact that I decided to enter their cat into a beauty pageant, particularly as I don't know them. It'd be an odd way of meeting. Hello, I live next door. By the way, I've entered your cat in a competition. <laughs> so I sent another photo in, which I found on the internet. It's also of a cat, but this one is wearing a tiny hat and a wig and will definitely beat next doors. I've named this new cat Stuart because hardly anyone ever names cat Stuart and that must really upset a lot of people called Stuart. <laughs> July 28th. The Propecia arrives. The Prozac arrives with it. I read the Prozac's list of possible side effects. Extreme fatigue, listlessness, constipation, nervousness, joint pain, excessive sweating, lack of concentration, memory loss, poor sexual performance. I imagine you have to be quite depressed for any of this to be an alternative... Oh, see, I messed up there. They're recording this for a podcast. They're going to have to edit that. Do you think they've got the technology? In the Apple store. That'll be all right, won't it? By the way, you're all getting a free iPod. You're not. My knee joint hurts a bit now, but I don't think it's the Prozac. August 2nd. I've begun to feel very guilty for entering a stranger's cat into a competition. No matter. The £100 cash prize will make it all worthwhile, although I will probably have to spend it on buying a new cat to stop any tricky questions. Also today, I've begun the long and rocky road towards fulfilling an ambition I never actually had. To be a nurse. The University of Rochville in America is looking for new recruits for its online nursing degree. Apparently, I will not need to study or learn anything about nursing. The degree is based on my life experience from previous PhDs or doctorates, of which I have none, to experience of home nursing, of which I have none, right the way down to viewing habits. I've set the video for tonight's episode of Holby City. I can't believe I'm going to be a nurse. I entered my details onto the website and paid the $400 in full using one of my new types of credit card that I said yes to. I'm nearly a doctor. This is brilliant. August the 3rd. Bjorn the squash man still hasn't called. He definitely said he would call. Why are men such bastards? <laughs> and that's the reading done. Hey.
And relax. We can all relax now. Um, so I was thinking maybe of telling you uh, maybe one or two things about one of the, uh, the, the other books. Maybe join me. Uh, friends like these. Do you have a preference? Oh, oh, join me so last year. Uh, well, friends like these. Um, anyone else familiar with it? Do you kind of know? Basically, um, what can I say about friends like these? Basically, well, there I am uh, on a BMX uh, with, <laughs> with, with some friends. Um, friends, really, that I'd kind of uh, lost touch with over the years. Um, what happened was I was kind of uh, turning 30, and life was suddenly very different. When I was in my 20s, I was kind of always having fun, it seemed. I was going to the pub and hanging out with my mates. Uh, and, you know, I basically lived off a processed, uh, processed cheese diet, uh, you know, dairy dunkers and, uh, and bad lager, things like that. And one day I was going to my fridge thinking, I quite fancy maybe you know, some processed cheese or maybe some, some bad meat, something like that, a Big Mac from yesterday, that'd be great if there's one in there. And I opened my fridge. There was no processed cheese, my friends. There was no, I know, I feel your pain. Exactly, you're right to, to do a slight, oh, under your breath. Poor Danny with no processed cheese in his fridge. There was no lager there either. That was pretty bad. That is worse. There was brie. And there was like a bottle of white wine just sort of chilling gently in the corner, just with that kind of, that kind of like an M&S advert or something, just the kind of the condensation coming down. And I sort of stumbled back into my living room and I realised with horror that I'd been watching Holmes Under the Hammer. And my living room had a dramatic focal point. Uh, worst of all, my sofa, and brace yourself for this, my sofa had display cushions. <laughs> cushions you look at. They're not for bottoms, that's, that's the rule. And I was thinking, well, how did this happen? Where did these come from? I didn't buy them, but somehow they've ended up in my house. I'm in a new area of town, I'm married, I'm no longer going to sort of old men's pubs, we're going to kind of, we're going to Latvian cafes and things like that, and having, having brunch. And I'm thinking, well, when did life you know, turn this way? And is it just because I'm kind of turning 30? And around the same time, my mum and dad were moving house, and they left uh, they, a, a box of stuff, they, you know, in, in their kind of spare room, that was uh, things from my childhood, like uh, school reports or photographs, things like that, old letters. And they sent it to me, because they didn't really want it in their house, but didn't want to throw it away either. And it arrived, and I got quite kind of excited. I'm going through it, and I find all these things that are firing off memories from when I was a kid, you know, and uh, all the friendships I used to have with, with these guys. Because we didn't have, you know, when I moved house, we didn't have MySpace or, or, or Facebook, anything like that. I say that as if you all did, as if somehow <laughs> in the 80s you were all on MySpace. It was just me. It's not a sob story, don't worry. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if I'm turning 30, if I'm kind of, you know, eating brie, if I've, you know, rather than sitting in bed watching sort of telly on a Sunday morning, drinking tea, nursing a hangover, if I, as, and this is true, recently I was thinking about this on a Sunday, I, rather than just sort of hanging out and just recovering from the night before, I got up early, went to a DIY store, and sourced a new bracket for my hosepipe. <laughs> Things like that. I had a lawnmower given to me. My mum was always giving me very practical gifts. For, uh, for my birthdays, things like that. So I, I, I get like a, a lawnmower, but like an old man lawnmower, one that you have to actually push. Uh, she gave me other grown-up things, uh, a griddle. Uh, one year I got a shredder. <laughs> for my 18th birthday, you know, and this is quite an important time in a young man's life. What did you get for your 18th birthday? Beer, probably. Very progressive parents. <laughs> That's very nice. But ideally, I, I think you'd agree, you want something maybe, maybe in silver, maybe kind of engraved, saying, you are now a man, my son. Move on. Live your life. Something like that? No, just beer for you. Fair enough. <laughs> we know what your family's like all of a sudden. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't get any of that. Um, I, I got, and this will break your hearts, for my 18th birthday, my, my big present was a Mr. Bean video and a belt. 
She sort of topped it this year. This is absolutely true. Guess what I got for Christmas this year? Socks? That would have been better. <laughs> this year, for my Christmas, I got a fire extinguisher. <laughs> a fire extinguisher. And it, on the box, it, it said things like, ideal for liquid fires. Like, great, I was going to have one of them. Brilliant. That's, that's, that's perfect. So as you can see, you know, I, I would get these kind of very practical gifts. But I'm looking through the, through the box, and this is actually a lovely thing she's done for me, because it's, kind of, it's a kind of gift. In that box was an old address book, and in that address book, the names of 12 of my mates from growing up. And I grew up all over the place, in Dundee, and Loughborough, and Bath, Berlin for a bit. And in each of these places, I'd meet, like, you know, great people, and we'd always agree to keep in touch, but for one reason or another, we didn't. So I'm there, looking at their names, and remembering all these things, and thinking, what if I met them again? What if I, what if I just, wherever they were in the world, I tracked them down, knocked on their door, and just said, all right, it's me from 25 years ago. Are you coming out to play? <laughs> so that's what I did. I tracked them down. I turned up wherever they were. I met some brilliant people. It's kind of that thing where as soon as you do it, has anyone here ever tracked down an old friend? You have. And what was it like? Was it good? No, it was bad, right? <laughs> we'll move on. Why was it bad? You started arguing with them instantly. Really? Okay. That's not what happens in Friends Like These. Please, please don't think it's a book full of outrage and anger. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. I was, I was kind of uh, hoping that would be a nice story, but uh, you got any nice stories? He's got a nice one. There's a man there. A man from Lowestoft, I believe. Yeah. Um, who tried to scupper tonight's uh, book reading, ladies and gentlemen. I was uh, around the corner uh, having a shandy. It was actually a shandy. Um, uh, when this gentleman from Lowestoft came to me with the most lethal-looking drink I've ever seen in my life. What was it? It was bright purple. Diesel. It was petrol, apparently. <laughs> Great. It did, it did kind of smell that way. I would have needed the fire extinguisher after that one. But thank you very much for that. Um, I had a sip, and then I left it. Oh, you finished it. Excellent. <laughs> Good. Uh, what was your nice story? So you met an old friend, got into a relationship for two and a half years. Did it end well? We still talk. You still talk. Listen, after that story, that's good enough for me. That's a happy ending, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but no, but it's a good thing to do, isn't it? To go and you know meet these people and uh, you know hang out and see. It was weird. Right. None of you are helping this book. <laughs> but, never, but never mind. It's a good thing. Like, um, oh, I was going to point at my friends there, but there's Jim Carrey. Uh, it'll, it'll be back. He's my friend. Well, no. <laughs> I'm not saying we're not an argument. Please don't think. It's a terrible rumour gets out about that. That's not what it said in the Guardian article, that I'd had an argument with Jim Carrey. Oh, did it? Well, that was a lie. <laughs> We're friendly, we're friendly. Uh, anyway, so I thought, you know, I'll go and track these guys down. So I started to do it, and, you know, they have amazing jobs. One of them is now, and this is a brilliant job, right? This is an amazing job, one of the best, I think. Because, like, when I was at school, and we had, you know, that thing where you go to a careers officer, and he kind of goes, well, we think you might be good working in tyres or something like that. You've got no interest in tyres, but you kind of have to go, yeah, all right, yeah. Our, our careers officer at school, he left the job after eight years because he decided that careers officing, officering, wasn't the career for him. You can't trust his advice after that. Did you have the supercomputer, like a supercomputer at school? Uh, that's that diesel making me, making me stumble over my words. Did anyone have that thing at school? Uh, who here's around 30? 
You were Anthony. No, 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 fair enough. You were Anthony. So at school, did you have this thing one day we had to go in and they said, yeah, they had this new computer. It looked like it was made in Belgium. It was sort of beige with a green screen. Nothing like an Apple, which I heartily endorse, uh, by the way. Um, but you go there and then you'd have to answer a series of like a hundred questions. So, yes, I'm good at teamwork. No, I enjoy working on my own, stuff like that. And the supercomputer would take about 24 hours to process this information. And then a dot matrix printer would start printing this out and it would tell you what your ideal job is. Did you have that? You definitely had that. What, what would be my ideal job? You, you've got to know me now for the last maybe 15, 20 minutes. What would be my ideal job? You're seeing a Ghostbuster? You would be correct, that would be my ideal job. I'm not sure that was one of the sort of options that they gave me. Anyone else? Fireman? Well, I've got the equipment, haven't I? Exactly, you're thinking ahead. Mum? Gamekeeper? What, everyone in your class got Gamekeeper? Did you grow up, like, on the Sahara Plains? <laughs> Just a man in the box. There's only one job going this year, and it's Gamekeeper. You're all going for that. All of you got Gamekeeper. That's quite extraordinary, or a rubbish computer. Someone over there said I should be an undertaker? Them over there? No, you're wrong as well. My ideal job, according to the supercomputer, the Belgian-made supercomputer, is quarry manager. <laughs> I've never shown an interest in quarries or their management, anything like that. What did you get? Did you get Gamekeeper as well? You... You liked water, so you wrote, I like water and fish. I don't remember those questions. I don't remember a thing saying, do you like water and or fish? Or did you just write that on? Marine biologist is pretty fancy. That's pretty, that's better than quarry manager. Anyone else? Librarian. Librarian. Oh man, I feel for you. Is it just because you wear glasses? Is that, I feel your pain. I didn't realise you could just write this stuff down. I was just ticking any old stuff. So you see, I like books, you're a librarian. Fair enough. Not writer then. I got that one. To apologise, that sounded quite uh, odd. So anyway, um, yeah, so this guy that I go and see in Germany, guess what his job is? His job is hardcore German rapper. Yeah, he's the head of Hitman music. And he picked me up uh, in like a blacked out Merc uh, with sort of neon underneath it, in Berlin, and it was brilliant, and his crew was there, I believe that's the correct terminology, they turned on some of their music, they were rapping out at bitches and hoes, it was lovely, <laughs> and I was just sitting in the middle looking like the company accountant, it was slightly awkward, then I went to see Simon Gibson, my old friend, Simon at school was always like the scruffy kid, always needed like an inch taken off his fringe, he used to wear his shoes until they were like Charlie Chaplin, you know, they would like, you could use them to talk, things like that, and he is now suited and booted, he's the manager of a Toby Carvery, um, in, in Leicestershire, right? And I turn up, and there he is. He just looks like, like little Simon, but, but bigger and manly and kind of telling people to do stuff. It was great. And I walk in, and it's a bit of a surprise, and we have a chat, and we go and sit in a special area, and I'm going, so what's going on? How are you? And he goes, oh, well, Toby Carvery keeps me pretty busy. And he's kind of slightly sort of David Brent as well. It was kind of a bit worrying. He's kind of going, yeah, you know, uh, we do... Uh, do, uh, do, you know, have a lot of fun here, but we do get the work done. It is important. That is, after all, why we are here. Got about 3,000 dinners to do a week, 4,000 if it's a busy week, 30 staff, 35 at weekends. And I'm thinking, this is good, but I really want something that's not Toby Carvery based. So I'm going, what about any hobbies or interests? And he goes, not really. Um, no, it's mainly, mainly the Toby. And I go, well, I mean, I'm hoping he's going to say I like football or, you know, I like badminton or kabaddi, something like that. And he goes, um, oh, there is one thing. I go, what? He goes, over the last ten years, I have been working on my own independent theory of time travel. 
Simon Gibson has solved time travel. And he, he reckons he really has. A lot of people think I'm making it out, but I swear to you, he's got graphs. He's got little... I don't know if a graph would help you solve time travel. But apparently, uh, he's, he's, he's kind of done that. So that was a pretty good job. And others like a karate instructor. I'm kind of rambling now, because someone said I should talk about friends like these. I'm essentially telling you what happens throughout the whole book. So I'll probably... Uh, do what? Oh, I thought you were going to say I should do that. That would be good. I don't have to talk about the books, by the way. If you have got any requests, maybe tonight you've been browsing some of the computer software. Maybe you're thinking, I'm thinking of buying Norton Antivirus, but I wonder what the manual would sound like if Wallace read it out. I could just, I could just follow you home, reading gently to you about antiviruses and as you softly weep. Again, a bit sinister. Never mind. Any questions about friends like these? How's Ian from Friends Like These? Ian is absolutely fine. He's, um, you know, he's very well indeed. Is Ian here? No, never mind. It was a long shot, to be honest. He lives in Chislehurst, uh, so that wasn't happening. These are, well, that, this guy is, is actually one of my friends, Cameron. He, oh, this is a cool thing. Cameron here. Um, so at school, there was always something a bit uh, interesting about Cameron, right? He was a Fijian kid who came to our school. I was always kind of attracted to the people who, who kind of came over from somewhere else. It was quite exciting. There was a guy called Akira Matsui, um, who was from Japan. And I just watched the Karate Kid, so I was desperately excited to meet him. I thought he was my, like, key to sort of ninja powers and karate excitement. No, it wasn't. He didn't, didn't know any of it. And I could count up to five in Japanese. So I, basically, the day he arrived, I counted up to five in Japanese, very close to his face. And Michael Amodio, who was doing karate, tried to uh, do the deadly crane kick from the end of the film and essentially nearly gave him concussion. So Akira thought he'd come to a school full of oddballs and racists. So it wasn't, it wasn't good. But Cameron, there was always something a bit kind of intriguing about him. And when he went back to Fiji, I found out kind of what it was, but still, having not seen him, it seemed to be a bit of a rumour. So when I met up with him, um, and I thought I'd have to go all the way to Fiji, turns out he'd been going past my flat twice a day on the train um, for, for like five years, so we were really, really close. Do you know what it is about him, his little secret? He is essentially third in line to the throne of Fiji. He's got his own island called Nabuso, where they're not allowed to look him in the eye, and they have to give him food whenever he wants, which is often. Uh, as you can see. And when we met up in London, and I kind of went, is it true then? Are you kind of, you know, do you still have these kind of connections? And he went, oh, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And uh, at the end of the night, uh, we were sort of hugging and saying goodbye, and I was going, we should do it again sometime. And he goes, well, the night doesn't end here, surely. And I go, what? And he goes, well, there's a karaoke party. And I go, okay, where? It was at the American Embassy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's an Irish pub, basically, in the basement of the American Embassy. It sounds now like I'm making this up. I don't know if I'm breaking some kind of official secrets act or, or anything like that, but I promise you it's true. Within the American Embassy, bottom floor, Irish bar. And we go in there, we have to give our phones and our keys and all that kind of stuff, anything that can be used as a weapon. We go in, there's just loads of diplomats getting off with each other. I can't, I can't substantiate that. There were people. <laughs> kissing. Uh, men just kind of doing karaoke. That's pretty, that's a, you can have that fact and you can take it away with you. Not all of you though, just you. You all have to ask her permission from now on. But you like, the, you, have you read the book? Do you like the sound of Cameron? You're reading it now. I die in the end. <laughs> sorry to, sorry to spoil that for you. Right there, I don't really, we can all relax. Uh, any other questions about friends like these or about Yes Man or about uh, Join Me or uh, anything? Yes sir. The gamekeeper. Did anyone just not remember you? Did you ring anyone up and they just went, Danny who? No, never heard of you, mate. 
Wouldn't this be great, though, if, uh, like this, I'd love to keep this, and I'd like you to have that microphone, and then we could just uh, have our voices amplified all the time, and just wander around London. Yeah, just wander around London going, no running. Put that back. It'd be great. It'd be like a rubbish telephone that only me and you could use in certain distances. Uh, did, anyone, um, no, did anyone sort of not remember me? Well, there was one guy who wasn't particularly bothered about meeting up, which I was, I was a bit kind of sad about. I was kind of going, oh, that would be, oh, that's, you know, I thought we were like big pals. And clearly my memories of growing up with him were, were fonder <laughs> than his memories of growing up with me. Um, there were other people who, they, they, they'd maybe um, like seen me doing a thing on TV or something, um, but didn't realise that I was that one. Because when I was a kid, I had a, a Scottish accent, really strong Scottish accent from when I was growing up in Dundee. And then I moved to Loughborough. And I don't think anyone had ever moved to Loughborough before. <laughs> they were sort of looking at me going, there's something wrong with this child, there's something a bit odd. And I got this great part in the school play when, when Ian McCaskill was at the height of his powers and everyone was talking about McCaskill, the funny weatherman. And I had to come out and be the funny weatherman. And, you know, dress rehearsal, that went great. No problems there. I go out on the night to do it. There's just a sea of open, terrified mouths like you are now, sort of. And, you know, I think, honestly, people thought there was something a little bit odd. So the people from Scotland had seen, like, a Danny Wallace uh, on, on a few things, but when, when, when I turned up, I think they thought it was like a Daz doorstep challenge or something, and I was just turning up. So, no, no one didn't remember me, um, but one bloke wasn't asked. Uh, any other questions over there? Are we doing this mic thing? That would be, oh, blimey. Yeah, that was a very casual saunter. It's going, oh, this fella, you know, yeah. Have you ever considered making a book where you just say yes to, friend, to your friends who are in your cult who live in your country? Have I ever considered a book where I just say yes to my friends, people in my cult or my country? No. <laughs> ne next question. <laughs> be quite a niche book, that one. It's got to be said. But no, I like it. Why not? I'll do it. I won't. I won't. There's a fellow at the back. I guess if you just shout, we'll be able to hear you. What random act of kindness have I done today? Well, clearly you have misread the book and my, my teachings. Uh, it's a Thursday today. Uh, so uh, I started a cult, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, called Join Me. Uh, and uh, basically they, people do a good deed for a stranger on a Friday. They're Good Fridays, and they have to sign the Good Fridays Agreement. It's largely a cult based on wordplay and puns. Um, so don't worry, oh blimey, now the police have arrived. Now everyone's looking over there. I could just leg it when you did that. That was great. <laughs> See you later. It's a difficult question. I'm off. Um, no, but I do. Uh, I, I continue doing all my good deeds, and good deeds continue to happen all around the world. I got a brilliant email the other day from a lady in Nova Scotia, right? And she just read Join Me, and she felt like, you know, because sometimes you don't, you don't want you, you feel like you, you can't do a good deed for a stranger because you feel like you're doing it on your own. And the point of Join Me is there's loads of people from everywhere who might be doing it on their own, but together you're this big collective of goodness going out and doing stuff. And you can kind of blame it on that, if you like. And this lady out in Nova Scotia, a very cold day, and she thinks, well, today's the day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it today. And she drives to this, uh, she goes to this coffee place where you, you stay in your car, drive through coffee place. And she goes, hi, can I get a coffee? But could I also pay for the coffee of the car behind me? And the woman goes, yeah, all right, yeah. So she does that. She goes. Monday, she's back. And the woman goes, you know that coffee you bought for that lady? Did you know that lady? There might have been an error. And she goes, no, 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 I didn't. Uh, I'm anything called join me. And on a Friday, we do a you know, good deed. And she went, right, it's just that when I told her that you'd paid for that coffee, she then paid for the coffee for the car behind her. And then I had to tell him, and then he paid for one behind him. And I had to tell her, and she paid for the one. It happened 21 times in a row. I don't know who the bloke at number 21 was, but I want a word. 
But isn't that good? Because it just shows that if you put something out there, um, and if you, uh, you feel good, um, and the other person feels good, and then the other person feels good, and it just continues like a big domino effect thing. A lady there. Am I going to go back and visit Wallace in Idaho? Um, I, I might do, you know, seeing as um, the townspeople apparently have a day in my honour. I've yet to see proof of this. Uh, I think it was a, a whim of the mayor. But um, I found out about, um, for anyone who doesn't know again, I found out um, about uh, where the centre of the universe is. I found it, basically. Because <laughs> um, uh, when I lived in the East End, you could see uh, Greenwich, and you could see like the centre of the Earth. And I thought, that was weird. You're not supposed to be able to see that from your, from your window. And I started like, looking around and trying to work out where the centre of the universe is. If we get any closer to finding it out, if the universe is expanding, surely it's getting further away all the time. Nope. It's in Idaho, because this mayor one day just went, right, everyone, gather around, right? If anyone asks, from now on, our town is the centre of the universe. And in fact, it's that manhole cover just there. And everyone went, yeah, fair enough, yeah, all right, yeah, good. And he went, the thing is, the science behind it, he calls it science, um, uh, if it can't be disproved, then it must be true. That's what he's saying. So, here's the kicker, the town is called Wallace. I thought, this is a cosmic coincidence, I have to go. So I went and just spent 24 hours at the centre of the universe. And it was great, within like half an hour I'd be made ambassador. Um, they'd named a day in my honour. They kept giving me coins, I'm not sure why. Maybe they thought I was just, uh, I don't know. I know. I know it's front page news, that's quite good as well. Yeah, look impressed. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I would like to go back there one day. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely little town. There was a question here. Uh -huh. Well, the, the funny thing about the film, you're saying that the, the film is quite different from the book. And it is, I mean, superficially it's been set in LA and he's a bit older than me. He falls over more than I ever did, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'd have a word with him about that. Um, but weirdly, the, the kind of the beats of it are the same and the romance is kind of, you know, it takes a very similar kind of turn. The friends are all there. They obviously, they, they change a lot of the situations. Like I end up in a very boring uh, museum about early keyboard instruments. Uh, he ends up in the Frank H. Woods Telephone Pioneer Museum. So it's kind of the spirit of it is there, but the details, uh, you know, changed about. But for me, it's been quite a, a gradual process, and they were very good to me. Because I imagine the, the most annoying person to have around or on a film set is the bloke who wrote the book. Because, you know, you don't want him around. So I was kind of just going, look, the book will never change. The book is going to be in libraries and it's there. So what about the film? What do we do for a film? You know, and, and you're all very good at that. So let's see kind of what happens. Plus, it's not like I've written atonement, is it? You know, <laughs> I'm well aware of what I've done. Um, so, uh, so no, I was really, but they were so lovely to me. I can't, you know, I, I turned up and they'd, they'd send me scripts and, and kind of, you know, say, you happy with this bit or how about this bit? And I'd be able to give a few notes and, you know, I'd... Uh, did I what? Did I ask to be an extra? You are, of course. Well, extra is uh, a derogatory term, <laughs> I would say. I think if you have seen the film, which I imagine, you know, from your question you have, you will see me more as a supporting artist, <laughs> something like that. Uh, a very powerful uh, cameo performance as Man at Bar in scene near end of film. <laughs> I gave myself a very convincing backstory. I sat down with the director um, just beforehand. He then got up and moved away. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I developed the character. I play Steve, um, who is a failed chiropractor, possibly gay. We, we just don't know. We're in talks about a sequel. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty big. When I was doing that, actually, because um, the weird thing is, you're, you're sat there at a bar, and the only man with an English pint glass as well. Nice detail. 
and I'm sitting there and um, obviously they're doing their scene and I have to look like I'm talking so I have to just be sort of miming away and it's very un unnatural doing that and, and I suddenly realised that I was the one on screen and so the late, if I just if I was listening to the conversation, it would look weird. I just look like a man. I might as well look at the camera, <laughs> just doing that. So I just kept the conversation going, but I'm running out of things to say very quickly. And I'm just starting to say, oh, um, I once shot a hamster out of a cannon. I've, I've punched a kitten. Uh, I have other books available, uh, things like that. And uh, I think that really what I was aiming for is the deaf or lip-reading community who will go away from that film going, I don't know what that was about, but that man at the bar, he seems... A hell of a guy. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So that was my uh, supporting artist role. Hello, sir, at the back. What's wrong with liking Holmes under the hammer? Holmes under the hammer. Martin's here from Holmes under the hammer. Bloody hell! It's prof sorry to. Uh, oh, blimey! This is great. Oh, a, a round of applause, please, for Martin. Oh man. <laughs> The weird thing is, there's a light coming right at me, but I clocked you before and went, it can't be. <laughs> That's so sweet. I got an email from Martin a couple of days ago because I had mentioned and also mentioned in the book that uh, Holmes Under the Hammer is a guilty secret of mine, growing older. And then I did get basically what you just said in an email. <laughs> but when you're just a few feet away from me, it feels a little more sinister, Martin. <laughs> Are you following me? You're a cyber stalker. Oh, well, thanks for coming down. Oh, how cool is that? Oh, I want you. I want you to. I wish I had a Holmes and the Hammer annual or something <laughs> for you to. Uh, we could do it. We could do an auction now, Martin. You just nodded at me. That's a hundred thousand pounds to charity. <laughs> Excellent work. You had a question, sir. Am I working on a new book? I will be. I will be. Uh, right now, I'm talking. So, a uh, little bit rude, interrupting me. What more do you want from me? Um, I, I will. I will be. I will be. Um, I'm thinking of doing a. Uh, a novel next. Ooh, yeah, I made you go, ooh. This <laughs> is a novel. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I, I think I will. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. Hello, sir. Did I really win and lose that 25 grand uh, in the book? I absolutely did. And my friend Vince still finds it hard to talk to me <laughs> because of it. But that was it, was, it was kind of, it was a weird thing, that. So, uh, you know, I had to give change to uh, a, a fella. So, uh, I, I went off. I didn't have any change, so I went to get change. So, I bought a couple of newspapers that I wouldn't normally have got in that situation. Then I went off to play football, which I wouldn't have normally done had I not been saying yes. So, all these chains of yeses were there. And then, I'm on the tube, open up the sun, scratch card comes out. It says, play, scratch a million. And usually, the answer would be, no. I will not, because I will win like a one-pound journey to France on a ferry that has to leave at midnight in October, so not, or a hair clip or a rubbish disposable camera. So usually, avoid them. This time, all right, yeah, cool. I match the numbers. First number comes out, 25,000. Second number, 25,000. This is ordinarily where you get 50p, something like that. Scratch the third one, 25,000. I just won 25,000 pounds, and all through saying yes. Of course, I then lost it by scratching the others to make sure that's because I'm a twat. <laughs> you can edit that out. That'll be fine. Hello, sir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's an awkward one. My wife isn't here. It's fine. Uh, well, use your imagination. I asked you to read between the lines, um, not come to a reading and make me say it out loud. <laughs> if that had been my intention, I would have put that down. Um, but, you know, you can guess. Buy me another pint of diesel and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Lady there. Um, yeah. Did I what, sorry? 
Oh, how much did I spend doing the whole yes thing? Let's not even talk about that. <laughs> All I know is that the credit cards kept on coming. And I believe that's free money, isn't it? I believe, I believe that's how it is. Uh, I spent a lot, you know, uh, uh, doing it. But I also had lots of experiences that money can't buy. Um, which is, wow, that was kind of like, that was a Hallmark Cards moment. <laughs> Fellow, uh, lady over there. Any plans for joining me film? There are, indeed. In fact, there's a, there's a star, there's a star buzzing around it at the moment uh, who's had a few uh, phone conversations about uh, doing it, which would be, would, you know, be absolutely amazing. Um, I just really want, oh, and you know, uh, if you're familiar with Join Me, you know Joinee Jones, the very first Joinee I ever got. He's a brilliant bloke, right? I'll tell you. When I, when, I, when I put this advert in the paper, just saying, join me, send one passport-sized photo too, uh, and then my address. In my head, I was kind of thinking, oh, there'll be thousands of passport photos coming through. It's going to be amazing. A couple of days go by, nothing. Then, one day, bang, there's a letter. And in it, a passport photo from a very cheerful-looking man called Jonesy. And he just went, I will join you. <laughs> I thought, this is it. I'm a leader of men. I'm a leader of a man is what it really was. And we agreed to meet up. I wrote him a letter. I thought, I want to know what he wants from joining me. Because I didn't know. You know, I'm starting this thing without knowing uh, who I want to join or, or for what reason. But I'm, I forget that, you know, he's joining something without knowing what it is either. He'll have his own questions. So we meet up in a pub in Camden and we're sat there, two quite scared, bespectacled men, <laughs> sort of nervously flinching every time the other one goes for his pint, things like that. And, you know, I'm kind of, I want to sort of say, you know, so why have you joined and all this kind of stuff. But he's asking his questions. He's going, so... Join me, then. I go, yep, yeah, it's good, it's a good thing. And he goes, well, how many, how many people are involved, then? And I don't want to say. So I'm going, numbers aren't important. It's not, about, it's not about numbers. It's about people joining together as one, that kind of thing. And he goes, well, how many people? And I go, well, again, you know, you're, you're not a number. You're a man. Mo move on. And eventually I have to tell him, and I have to go, there's two. <laughs> and I look at him while he does the maths. And he adds me to him and gets the world's most rubbish club. But luckily, Jonesy, being Jonesy, he just took a sip of his pint, he looked me in the eye, and he just went, do I get a badge then? <laughs> and that was it. So I had, my, I had my cult, it was starting. But the reason I bring him up is that he texted me on New Year's Day, and he met a fellow joinee. He's proposed and she said yes. Yeah, exactly. And there are join me babies now. No, there are. There are. You all laughed as if... No, I don't mean there's like... They're not all sending their passport photos in. Too, they can't get a passport. It's illegal. Uh, but no, it's great. And marriages, left, right and centre, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Hello. Couple more. Yeah, go on. Uh, friends like these, yeah. No, it's been, uh, it's, been, it's been optioned by Miramax. So uh, they could well be... I don't know how they're going to do it, though. It's kind of, I don't want to say that in case there's anyone here. It's very personal. But I'm, I'm thrilled that they're, they're doing it. And there's a great company as well who, who are involved who make really, really great British films. So it'll be, you'll be happy because it won't be so American. Uh, but Jim Carrey won't be happy because he's not in it. He won't, he won't care less. It's fine. It was cool hanging out with him, though. When, we, when the premiere happened in, uh, in Leicester Square, there's this great moment, right, where we're on this double-decker bus going into Leicester Square. And we've been kind of going through town, and he's been like waving at people at bus stops, and they've been going, he looks a bit like, oh, no, that is Jim Carrey. <laughs> and we get in, and suddenly there's hundreds of people right up ahead. And he kind of goes, you ready for this? And I go, yeah, 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 cool. And we stand up, and now he's visible for the first time to the crowds. And you just hear this lone voice from by the side of the bus going, we love you! And he turns around to take the adulation, and it continues, Danny Wallace! <laughs> and he goes, Man, you're hot in this town. <laughs> and I look down, and it's my mate stumbling drunkenly out of the pub. 
and I go, you're going to have a tough night tonight, Carrie. This is my town. <laughs> so no, that was that was good. That was good stuff. Is that all we got time for? You gave me like a two minute uh, two minute thing. Should we do one more. Ed, you choose a question. Don't mess this up. This lady here. Oh, with the mic. Here we go. Now this is the last question of the thing. So think it through. Take a deep breath. There are other people who want to ask questions. Yours has to represent not only your own interests and knowledge, but also be kind of speculative enough to uh, kind of accumulate all the knowledge that you have of these people to really fully satisfy them with this question coming up now. What's your favourite colour? <laughs> well, I, just want, I just wanted to know what happened to the country of Lovely, because I signed up and then I got an email saying there was a revolution and it had broken up. Oh, that's a sad story. Yeah. Um, well, no, Lovely lives on in our hearts and minds. Um, it is no longer uh, my one-bedroom flat in Bow, um, which would be awkward. There are actually some people living in my uh, kingdom at the moment, <laughs> and I haven't told them. Uh, I hope that one day they catch a repeat uh, or something and just go, that looks a lot like... That is, that's our flat. And I've actually left a newspaper article on a very high shelf, uh, knowing that one day that bulb will go, and they'll have to go up, and they'll find this thing. It's like, <laughs> it's a picture of me on the front page of like the East London Advertiser, uh, going, I declare independence. <laughs> and they will realise that they are essentially barons, uh, or something like that, which would be quite nice. They're still on the official um, ordnance survey map of East London. There's a mistake because they came round to, um, to work out the, the proper map for the country and to work out where my sofa is, things like that. And it's all on this proper ordnance survey map that they did, but they've left it on. So now if you look at this map of, of the local area, there's all these like big factory buildings, and then in the corner, there's my sofa and bin. <laughs> so now they can't move that because there might be ramblers who want to go around and see it, but they can't. But you have, you've joined Lovely and you feel disappointed? Then stand up. What's your name? Oh. Sinead. Sinead? Yeah. No longer. You are now Duke Sinead. <laughs> Give it up for Duke Sinead. <laughs> and if you like, just turn up at the country anytime. The residents, they'll let you in. Just explain you're a duke. <laughs> you met a man in the Apple store who made you a duke. And you have to go and live there now. Cool. Is that all right with you? Good. Well, we've made a duke. There's been a riot. We've asked some strange questions, and now I will away. Um, thank you very, very much for coming along tonight. Um, <laughs> now you've all, you're, the worst thing is, you're quite enjoying it just because it's warm, and now you've got to go outside. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope that was all right, and uh, I'll see you again. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. All right, cool. This episode of Meet the Author was produced by iTunes and the Apple Store on London's Regent Street. To purchase the audiobook or listen to more episodes in the series, click the link below or search for Meet the Author in the iTunes Store.